Amen. Well, uh, God is giving our church growth in number. Mark pointed that out. He said 110 to 120. It's probably more like 200. Uh, yeah, that's what he meant, he said. Uh, you know, uh, th- th- there have been more people. He's mentioned that. And, uh, and that is uh, uh, just a fact. We kind of keep track of, of attendance. And, and in this last year, we, we ended up hitting a point where our average attendance was double that what it was 12 years ago. So there's been steady growth over time. And just in the last two years, there's been a 26% increase in growth. So it has been kind of steady. And then all of a sudden, a spike over the last couple of years. We're filling up this place on Sunday, and so a while back now, a building finance committee and a building committee were formed to explore the possibility uh, and do some work on a possible building project. And so one of the big questions ahead of our church now in 2024 is, is this the right time to start a building project or not? But as we consider that, though, I was planning as the new year began, excited to get back our normal custom. We walk through a book of the Bible from the beginning to the end, verse by verse. We've been doing that in Luke. We're going to get back to that in February. But God has laid on my heart as we start a new year a desire to just, as a pastor, as a shepherd of the church, to try to walk us through an understanding of building and growth that doesn't have so much to do with this building and growth in numbers. In the book of 1 Corinthians, which I just read from during communion, chapter 3, we read what Paul wrote to the church there. They were having some problems trying to figure out basically, uh, are, we, are we Paul's people? Are we Apollos' people? And Paul had to correct them to tell them you're neither because here's what's actually going on. Notice what this passage says about building and growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, Paul writes this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So notice a couple of things in there. He tells them it's God who gives the growth, and he tells them you're God's building. So when we think about building and growth, we're kind of practically thinking about growth in numbers, and we're thinking about adding to a building. But as we look at 1 Corinthians 3, those things kind of stick in my mind, and it reminded me also of what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, that is those who have been born again through faith in Jesus, the church is Christ's building project. And it's the type of project, as our building committee has been working on some things, they've looked at a couple of different options. We decided not to go with a design-build type project, but the church is God's design-build project. God the Father himself is the architect, and he is choosing to build his church, of which his son, Christ, is the head, and he's building it as Christ works through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the church is being built and has been being built for the last 2,000 years. We who trust in Jesus are a part of this building project that God is doing. And so for the first four weeks of 2024, that's what we're going to give our attention to. What is, what is this building project that God is up to that we as the church are a part of? 
We're going to do it by looking at a few verses from the New Testament book of Ephesians, which is a book that's really all about the exalted Jesus and his church. I'll tell you more about Ephesians as we walk through it, some more context stuff that will be helpful week by week as we go through. But for now, it's maybe just helpful to know this, that you could easily divide Ephesians, and many of you know this from studying the Bible on your own or with the church before, you could divide it up into two halves. Chapters 1 through 3, the first half, really focusing on the eternal plan of God to unite all things together under Christ in His church. And then in the second half, an admonition to the church to live out their new identity as those who are in Christ. So that's what we see. You can kind of break down the book of Ephesians in that way. We're actually going to spend three of the four weeks in the second half of the book. In fact, the next three weeks, we're going to cover two verses only each week. We're going to look through Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, covering two verses every week until we get to the end of verse 16. But today, we're looking at the last part of the first half of the book. And that is Paul turning to the church in Ephesus... And in a way, kind of concluding everything that he's talked about so far and telling them, here's how I'm praying for you. And then also ending with a doxology or a word of praise. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Ephesians chapter 3, where we're going to look today at verses 14 through 21. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very Word of God. First, let's pray. Father, we pray in the year ahead that you would make us a church, build us into a church built on prayer and growing in strength for your glory. I pray that you use this passage of Scripture today and the sermon that follows to spur us on in this building project that you're doing. Please do that again, not just for our good, but for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the very word of God, Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. 
So inside your bulletin, there is a sermon notes page there. There's not a lot of room for you to write because there's a lot of points that I put together to try to figure this out. I'll be honest with you. I've used, I've prayed this many times. I've used it many times. I've never preached on it before. And as I spent some time studying this week, it took me a while to try to get a grasp on how everything in the passage is related to each other. There's many things we could explore and would be worth exploring. I'm trying to give you today a simple outline that gets to the heart of the pe- of the text and applies it to us. I often kind of have a lot of application at the end of explaining the text. I'm going to just be kind of weaving the application in with all of it here today. And as you see in the outline there in your bulletin, I think the text very easily kind of breaks up into two main sections. The first section being prayer and the second praise. More specifically, that first section, verses 14 to 19, are not the prayer itself, but it's Paul reporting to the church in Ephesus, this is how I pray for you. And that part also is broken down into two main sections. First, it's uh, who the prayer is addressed to, and then secondly, what he's praying for. So he's first going to tell them who he's praying to, and then he's going to tell them what he's praying for, and there's three requests there. So... Like, I might have lost you already, but that's just basically the skeleton structure of what we're looking at today. So let's dive right in. Verses 14 and 15 really lay out Paul saying, this is the God to whom I am praying as I pray for you. Verses 14 and 15, I just read it, but it again says this, for this reason I should point out that chapter 3 verse 1 also starts with for this reason. And it's like Paul was about to start his prayer in chapter 3, verse 1, but then there was some other things he needed to say. So he continued from verses 2 to 13 to say the other things, and then he continues with it in chapter 3, verse 14, where we're starting today, and I really think it's a conclusion of everything he's said so far in the letter to the Ephesians. In light of all of this, for this reason, because of this, he says, I bow my knees as he contemplates even and writes to them all of these glorious truths of God's eternal plan from before all time to save a people for himself and unite them together under Christ, the thing that Paul is led to do is just pray for the church. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In Scripture, there are many ways that we can address the one true and mighty God. But one common way to address him is by addressing him as father. And that's what Paul does here. Addresses the Lord as father. And this, is, this makes sense. This is natural. Um, those of you who have the privilege of being fathers know that your kids are not shy about asking for things from you. Right? Dad, can I have some money is something you've likely heard before. We know that our fathers have things and we go to our father and ask for things. And so... Paul is coming before the Father, bowing his knees before the Father. And then he says this in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, I could give you a lot of background. That that sounds a bit strange to us, but just know that in the world at that time, naming was a little more um, important than it is often for us. The one who names something is the one who has authority over those things, right? So even back in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam is given authority and dominion over the rest of creation, so he's the one who gets to name 
uh, the things, right? So, so here, it's just really referring to the fact that God, as creator, has authority over all of the families in heaven and on earth. Big idea of verses 14 to 15 is, Paul is praying, and we pray, to a good father who has authority over all things. Good fathers want to give good gifts to their children. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, 9 through 11, Jesus is speaking. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? So Paul is praying to that Father, that Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So as he prays for the church in Ephesus, he's praying with that kind of confidence. That this Father, who has authority over all things, can also give him all of the things that he's asking for. Then we hear what exactly is he going to ask for. Verses 16 to 19, and here's where I'll start to sprinkle in some application as well. But I see three requests in verses 16 to 19, all of them beginning with that. So he's praying that or praying for, okay? What's he praying? Verses 16 and into the beginning of 17, he's praying that God would strengthen their hearts that he would do a work in them internally. Let's go ahead and look at that again. Verses 16 through the beginning of 17. That according to the riches of his glory, I might have tacked that on with, with verses 14 and 15. We recognize that he's praying to the one who has abundant riches. You may not, you know, as you get older and maybe you realize that your family is going through a tough time economically, you might recognize now is not the right time to go ask dad for some money, right? But Paul is praying to the father who lacks nothing at all ever. And so he can go to him with a confidence that according to the riches of his glory, he is able to answer all of these prayers. And so again, what does Paul pray? Paul prays that first, hearts would be strengthened, or they would be strengthened internally. Let's look at the specific wording. He says, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Interesting the way he puts those together, talking about your inner being and talking about through his spirit, but also that Christ may dwell in your hearts. We typically talk about the indwelling Holy Spirit, but here he talks about Christ dwelling in the hearts of believers through faith. What's, what's he getting at here? Well, I did a little bit of looking at this and found that, that there are times where, where there's kind of the, the Holy Spirit and Christ taking up residence in the hearts of believers are kind of used interchangeably. Romans 8, 9 through 11 would be one of those times. I don't know if I, yeah, did I put it up there? No. Just see also Romans 8, 9 through 11. You can look it up. Here's what it says. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so here we, the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. But if Christ is in you, so there we're hearing not just the Spirit, but also Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So now again, talking about the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, so often we see those kinds of things used somewhat interchangeably. So is it the Holy Spirit dwelling in us? Is it the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us? Is it Christ dwelling in us? And the answer is, well, yes. Okay, so, so that's what we see there. And he's praying that they would be strengthened internally, strengthened with power because these things are true. Now remember, Paul's writing to believers. He's not writing to them praying that people would ask Jesus into their hearts. We really don't see that language anywhere in Scripture. He's talking to people in whom Christ already dwells, and he's praying that that reality, that that Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers, would strengthen them inwardly. And other religions in the world would teach that, that there's some sort of internal strength inside of us that we need to kind of find a way to, to tap into, whether that be through yoga or some other means. We don't do that as Christians, right? As Christians, we believe that the power inside us is, is the Holy Spirit himself. Right? So we're not trying to like, you know, empty our mind of everything else and tap into something else that's inside us. The power inside us comes from the Holy Spirit himself. And so Paul can pray for believers to be strengthened with power in their inner being or in their heart because that's where Christ or the Holy Spirit is dwelling. All right, so application for us. We need to pray that our hearts would be strengthened as Christ dwells in us through his Spirit. Church, I think we probably don't pray often enough for one another's hearts. We, we ought to pray that we and others would recognize this incredible reality that if we are in Christ, then he is dwelling in us through his spirit. And so we ourselves and we see others facing all kinds of stresses and pressures and we recognize our natural tendency is we get very fearful, we get anxious, we get worn out and weary, but We pray that we and our fellow believers would press on through an enduring and persevering faith, knowing that we would be strengthened internally because it is Christ and and the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. When we pray for the sick, so here's just a very practical example. When we pray for the sick, should we pray that the sick would be healed? Yes, certainly. Can God heal the sick? Yes, certainly. Would it also be wise, though, for us as we pray for those who are sick, would it be wise for us to also pray that God would strengthen them with his power in their inner being, where the Holy Spirit dwells? Because you know what? Whatever their sickness is, that does not define them more than the Holy Spirit himself dwelling in them defines them. So we ought to pray more regularly that God would strengthen the hearts of people that we care about internally, right? So strengthening us internally, strengthening hearts is something we ought to pray for more. This week's life group guide is basically an extended prayer guide. If you're in a life group, you're going to use that this week. If you're not in a life group, there is an insert in the bulletin with information on life groups. We'd encourage you to get connected with one of those life groups. And if you can't or or just choose not to, use the life group guide anyway as a prayer guide in your own home. Prayer request number two comes in verse 17 as well, up through the beginning of verse 19. And that is for this. The second thing Paul prays for is strengthened minds. Strengthened minds. Minds. 
Paul is praying that God would strengthen their minds, that they would be strengthened to comprehend something, to know something that is so wide and long and high and deep that it's even hard to fathom. It's hard to even know. How many of you have spent time like on the ocean? Spent time on the ocean, you've been like on a ship or something like that before. A few of you. Uh, I didn't fly in a plane for the first time until I was in my 20s, and then I didn't fly over the ocean. We went from Minneapolis to Chicago. No ocean uh, really in between there. I grew up in Minnesota where there were lots of lakes, some lakes quite large. But most of the lakes I ever spent time at, I could see the other side of. Later in my life, I think also in my 20s, was when I saw an ocean for the first time. And I waded into the ocean. Nope, I guess it was when I was like 17. I was a senior in high school. On our band trip, we went to Florida. And I went into the ocean, and I got to kind of experience just being able to see but not see the end of it, right? Um, And then there were other times that I flew over the ocean uh, on a trip to India, Um, But one time I actually got to be out on the ocean. I was on a mission trip with some students when I was a youth pastor, and we were in Belize, Central America. And we had done all of our work that needed to be done, and we had one day off where we were going to spend it basically on a tropical island. And an island, by definition, uh, is surrounded by water. So we had to get on a little boat and get out to this island that was, I mean, like I didn't think like the, the things that you see on like postcards and, and like desktop backgrounds on your computer, those things, God really made those things. And we got to go to a place like that. And when I was on that boat and on that island, I got to just experience the length Uh, Like, I I couldn't see the end of the ocean. There's no way I ever could have seen the end of the ocean, right? And and then we got on some snorkel gear, and and there was a coral reef around this island that we got to explore. A whole world underneath the world that you could see above the water, a whole world of beautiful colors and all kinds of things that God had made there, and and to just step back and... And, and try to fathom with our minds the length and the width and the depth of the ocean is really challenging. Like it just kind of like, I can't really get my mind around that. Like give me a gallon figure that's not going to really mean a whole lot. A gallon of milk, I can figure out how many gallons of water in the ocean. My mind just can't fathom that. And as Paul is praying, he's praying that God would strengthen the minds of the church, that they would know something that seems unknowable. It's unfathomable. More so even than the ocean, he prays that they would know what? Look at there. He prays that they would know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. He prays that they would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Church, again, application for us. We ought to pray that our minds would be strengthened to know the love of Christ. We often uh, think about strength in just like a physical strength kind of way. I think like God wired it into dads uh, like us. Uh, like like me, that anytime somebody's like having a hard time lifting something or opening something and they make a comment like, hey, I need a strong girl, like, yeah, I'll be right over there, right? Like, let me, like God has strengthened me to open the pickle jar uh, or to move whatever needs to be moved. But, but do we often 
pray and recognize that we ought to be praying that God would not just strengthen our bodies when they feel weak, but that God would strengthen our minds. Again, as we're praying for those who are sick, that would be a great thing to pray. That's what I've been praying for the students, our high school students who are at Impact this week. God, strengthen their minds to know the love of Christ. Parents, grandparents, you wonder what to pray for your kids and your grandkids? Pray this for your kids and your grandkids, that they would understand something that is almost too, too wonderful to understand. Pray that they would know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge, that they would know the, the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ, that they would hear the gospel and every time they hear it, that their hearts would be captured by a God who would love us enough that while we were yet sinners, he sends his son to die for us. This is how we know what love is, it says in Romans chapter 5. Christ died for us, right? So pray for strengthened minds. The third request is prayer for fullness or maturity. Okay, we've been here for a while, and, and this is a long passage. It's complicated. I want to keep this moving. We're going to talk more about fullness or maturity in the weeks ahead, because in 4, 11 through 16, that's a major theme. But it does show up here in this prayer, here at the end of verse 19, where it says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Without going into a lot of depth, filling, being filled, it has the same idea as like being completed or coming to full maturity. He is praying for them that they would grow to a place of maturity, of completeness, of fullness. Right? That's what he is praying for the church. And this also ought to be something that we pray for one another as a church. Pray that we would grow toward maturity in Christ. By the way, uh, on the first, sorry, second Monday of every month when our elders and deacons get together for a meeting, we spend the first half hour, 7 till 7.30 of that meeting in prayer. We're going to do that again, and anybody's invited. Do you want to come? Come and join us. Prayer tomorrow. We're going to just use Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 as a guide for prayer, just like you're going to do in your life groups. We're not going to exhaust it right? Uh, We're going to keep praying this again and again. And so using this as a model, we're going to pray tomorrow at seven. You're welcome to join us. All right. Section two. There's two sections. We're going to get through the second section a lot faster. Section two is the section in verses 20 and 21 where the shift is no longer, here's what I'm praying for you. It's just like this outburst of praise, a doxology, an ascribing of glory to the one to whom he is praying. It's a fitting conclusion to the glorious first half of this letter. And this too, you can break down into two sections. Praising who and praising him for what. So let's go ahead and look at verse 20. Verse 20 again says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. The one who is powerfully at work within us, that Paul was just praying to, the one to whom we pray, did you hear those words there? Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Over Christmas, my 
youngest nephew, who just turned three years old, won a game that my mom put together. And in his prize bag for winning that game was $3, okay? You should have seen little Jude's face when he held up that bag and that money and celebrated and said, I got three monies. He got three monies, and that guy was excited. My parents are not rich, but they could have given him more than three monies. And he is my mom's youngest child's youngest child, youngest grandkid. And, and my sister, by the way, I, I'm just going to say this. She might watch this online, so i got to say it. My sister is the favorite. Now, I'm the oldest of four. It's three boys and then a girl. And so my sister is, is for sure the favorite. And then she has... She has four children, and the youngest is this cute little guy named Jude, and he's the one that got the three monies. And so if he were to ask my mom or dad for more money, isn't he cute? If he were to ask my mom or dad for more money, they could have given it to him, right? He can't even fathom as a three-year-old what they could give to him or what they would give to him. Again, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. Church, one more quick point of application. Praise God that he can do more than what we pray for. We don't pray big enough. We don't. We pray weak prayers. And praise God that he can do more than what we pray for. We're excited when 200 people show up for a worship service. That is exciting. But our God, remember what we talked about last week. Our God is on the throne. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who has redeemed the people for himself from every people and tongue and tribe and language and nation. He is Worthy of the praise of every one of the 7.88 billion people on this planet that he has created. And right now, only a fraction of them are worshiping him. In our area, in our church today, 200 people probably uh, about worshiping this one who is worthy of our worship. But if you think about our area, there's maybe 15,000 people in our area. And my rough estimate would be that about 10% of those people today are in a church where the gospel is being proclaimed and the lamb who was slain is being worshipped. That's not very many. And so while we can and should get excited about 200 people gathering to worship him here and grow together in Christ, we, we need to acknowledge that as we pray for discernment on, 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 on adding a little bit onto this building, God might bring 400 here like next week. He could do it. Right? So we don't, we don't have an understanding, as we should, of, of the immensity of what it is that God can do. That according to the riches of His glory, He can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. We can pray for more. And then the four part is verse 21. And I'll just walk through this super quickly. In verse 21, it says, maybe the what is to him be the glory. This is how Paul just has to end all the glorious things he said so far in this letter. He says, to him be glory. 
That's the what. To him be glory. His radiance, his beauty, his perfection. To him be all of those things. Where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus. The the glory of the Lord displayed and manifest in his son is displayed through the body of Christ. Through the church. Man, that's a humbling kind of thing because I don't feel up to that. that. That the glory of the Lord displayed through his church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. When? Throughout all generations forever and ever. This is a plan that we are a part of. This, this eternal plan of God, of God glorifying himself in Christ Jesus and in his church. This is something he's been at work doing long before you and I were born. It's been his plan from all of eternity, and he will continue to build his church. And so as we become a church that continues to grow and considers building, let us be a church that remembers that we are built on prayers like this, praying that God would strengthen us, that he would strengthen our hearts, that he would strengthen our minds to know the love of Christ. And that he would grow us up to fullness. That's what real growth looks like. Not numbers, but real growth looks like growing towards completeness or maturity in Christ. May we pray for those things as we watch God continue the work that he's always planned to do to build his church. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I I keep thinking of that vision that we looked at last week in Revelation 5, that you are worthy. And I'm just really thankful that that you inspired Paul to pray in this way for the church in Ephesus back in the first century, that you inspired Paul by your Holy Spirit to write down every one of these words so that we are confident that this word, while not written initially to us, is indeed for us. And so I pray that you would help us to be a church that prays for one another more like this. Help us to be a church built on prayer. Help us to pray bigger prayers because we're convinced that you're able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I pray that our vision would not be so narrow that the, the biggest thing we're hoping for is to like lose five pounds this year. That, that we, you would give us a vision, primarily just a vision, not even for, for a church and a building. God, would you give us a vision for you that, that our eyes and our hearts and our minds would all be strengthened to know you, to know your love, to know your worthiness, and to give our lives in 2024 to worshiping you. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Please stand.